And uh, as you might have guessed from that, we are continuing our study and survey of the book of Ephesians this week. And that fan's doing a really good job. <laughs> no, it's alright, it's absolutely fine. I can put my finger there, that will be absolutely terrific. I'd rather have the benefit of it. Um, look, I'm aware of the fact that it's a hot night, um, and I've attempted to make sure that my sermon is a little shorter than I'd normally speak. I hope that helps. But I hope it has the same impact, just the same, friends. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts to his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it instructs us. Tonight, Lord, as we look at how your death has changed our relationships forever with each other, we thank you for that. And we just pray that it might inspire us to make a greater effort to commit ourselves to working within God's family and being closer to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this week we're celebrating Australia Day. And among us, the things and the things that we'll be celebrating, uh, among those things will be the idea of citizenship and the things that bind us together as a nation. Now it may be news to you, you wouldn't work it out from my accent, but I came to Australia as a migrant. Um, and until uh, I went to apply for a passport, I had no idea that I wasn't actually an Australian citizen. Because as a British subject, I had seamlessly slipped into public education. Um, I had also worked in the New South Wales Public Service for a little over a year, and I was already on the electoral roll. So when I wanted to travel at the end of my time at uni, I went to get a passport and discovered that I couldn't have one. Um, the only passport I could have was from the country I was born in, in Canada. But since the passport looked the same, and accorded similar rights, I wasn't too bothered by that. But later on, I thought about it more deeply and I actually sought public office. And at that point, I thought I really should formalise my citizenship and I was naturalised. Probably many people here have done the same. For those of us who were either born here or in my case, carried here, it's really easy to take our citizenship for granted. But many other people who've migrated to Australia probably appreciate more than the rest of us what a precious privilege citizenship is. Um, they know from experience that without citizenship and sometimes without permanent residency, um, you can't access, for example, all the social welfare benefits that are available to us in Australia, such as Medicare and the NDIS. Additionally, any children born to people who are migrants that aren't citizens, their children may not necessarily be admitted to citizenship either. Citizenship, above all things, gives us the right to stay in Australia. Some migrants who come to Australia as refugees from countries where they don't have the same freedom and they've been living in fear know particularly the, uh, the uh, appreciate even more so than the rest of us uh, what citizenship means. The rest of us overwhelmingly take these rights for granted. Um, this passage of Ephesians speaks to us about a new citizenship that we have and we get when we accept Jesus. Some of us who've been Christians for a long time also take that citizenship for granted. The purpose of today's reading and today's message from God's Word is to remind ourselves of what that new citizenship means, its responsibilities, and similarly to make us more grateful about it and to pursue it more vigorously. Today's passage also asks us at the same time to contemplate the impact of division within the family of God. Now, despite the claims made in countless Australia Day themes commercials that emphasise how Australians are one country and one people and that we live together in harmony, the fact is that throughout all of human history there have been divisions between people. It seems to be human, 
We're in division. We divide in many ways. Race, of course, is the one obvious cause of division. But there are many other subtler things that divide us. At school, for example, when we're very young, we learn very quickly who's in and who's out. The people who are into sports sometimes divide from those people who are into books. There's those that are cool and those that aren't. Um, state boundaries have come to mean something, a bit of a thing lately. People who live in the country in Australia often regard themselves as different from the people in the city. Even within our city, we quickly divide into the tribes of Western Sydney, the northern beaches, the inner city, um, the eastern suburbs, or for those lucky enough to live in God's country, apparently, the Shire. I'm old enough to remember a time when people who lived in Camden thought we were a bit special and separate from the rest of Sydney too. Many of you look very young, but I remember when I first came to live in Camden, people talked about going to Sydney as if it were somewhere else. Well, what this passage of Scripture teaches us in particular is that the church is one way which demonstrates the reconciling work of Christ that he won on the cross. When Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, one of the greatest divisions at that time was the division between Jews and Gentiles. The division not only plagued the first century world, it became a problem in the church. Now the Jews believed that Gentiles were created by God pretty much to fuel the fires of hell. Very strict Jews wouldn't even consider assisting a Gentile woman in giving birth because that would be simply helping someone to bring another pagan into the world. All Jewish men were circumcised and Gentiles certainly were, or generally weren't. Now, do I have to explain circumcision? That's good, because I'd rather not. Um, but the whole purpose of this procedure of circumcision was to create a physical mark on the body that set Jews apart from everyone else on earth. Jews called the Gentiles frequently dogs and regarded them as sick and perverted pagans who engaged in idol worship and gross sexual immorality. Now, just they were no different. Of course, the Gentiles themselves, the Romans and the Greeks, showed just the same contempt for the Jews. The Roman historian Tacitus, for example, in his history, savaged the Jews for the practices of eating separately from non-Jews. And he said that they regarded the rest of mankind with the same hatred that one would reserve for your enemies. Sadly, this conflict drifted into the church. And the book of Ephesians addresses this head-on from verse 11. Now, it was read beautifully earlier by Anne, but I would like to read a little section of it again, just again to remind ourselves and let the Word of God just move you in the way that it so frequently does. Paul says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcision by those who call themselves the circumcision, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Friends, what this passage of scripture is telling us is that 
when we become a Christian, it doesn't just change our vertical relationship with God. For the last three weeks, um, Irfan and Tony have been telling us about the marvellous fact that God changes us through Jesus. We were previously dead in our trespasses and sins, and God has made us alive in Christ through faith. But now Paul goes on to explain how our changed relationship with God brings us into a new community of people where physical customs such as circumcision and venial practices such as race and nationality have no place or relevance. As Christians, we have become part of a new humanity that replaces any other identity we had before. This is how the Jews and Gentiles were able to overcome centuries of hatred and prejudice that had previously divided them when they gathered together in the early church. Because what they had in common through Christ was so much more important. Now sadly, the threat of division in the church is not something that was uh, unique to the first century. Even today, Satan attacks the church by tempting all of us uh, with reasons to divide from one another. Shamefully, um, these things can include racism. But more subtly, it arises on divisions based on age or uh, preferences in worship style or music that we like or sometimes party political differences or social status or snobbery or jealousy or doctrinal difference. This division that we have comes from the natural way we were born as fallen humans. According to this chapter of Ephesians, it is overcome miraculously by the precious and sacred sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Now friends, let us consider what this means. Make no mistake that to foster division between Christians is to deny the saving power of Christ's death. A well-known Canadian Christian preacher called Don Carson, who some of the older Christians might remember reading his books, he's still alive, um, once said that Christians are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Friends, sometimes the differences between us at church can seem a bit like that that we're attending church with people that we love out of duty or sometimes through gritted teeth or we're so glad we've got that mask on to disguise our face. Friends, this must not happen Um, and God has given us the power to make sure that he doesn't. Um, And one important reason why this is the case is that the church is actually the dwelling place of God and we need to remind our hearts and practice of that. As we read in Ephesians from verses 19 through to 22, it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We read that as our verse of the day. And as Tony rightly reminded us, the household thing means we're family. And it goes on to say we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In that short passage of scripture, you might have noticed that Paul uses three different words to describe the church. And they're all images of what the church can be like. The first term he uses was citizenship. As I was banging on a little earlier, citizenship is an image that is particularly applicable in the month in which we're celebrating Australia Day. 
just as Australian citizenship binds us together with other people that we live with in this country, regardless of their backgrounds or prior nationality or gender or social status, our membership of the church and our common debt to Christ in dying to save us should bind us together into something much stronger and much more distinctive than any national characteristic. Now, the marks of Australian citizenship include things like our accent, our unique Indigenous culture, the place of mateship in our culture, our common history, our democratic values, what we like to eat, how we regard sport, and even the particular celebrities that we enjoy. But the distinctives of the Christian are things like love, humility, love for the truth, and the fruits of the Spirit. And we help each other and pray for each other in church, and of course, we love Jesus. They are the sorts of things that make us citizens of heaven, and we should display those things more and more. Then Paul goes on to use another term to describe the church. He calls it a household, or we would call it a family. In this passage, we're called to be members of God's household. Being part of a family suggests a relationship which is even closer and more intimate than being a citizen who shares the same nationality in common. As part of a family, we get to know each other much, much more intimately. Families are much closer than citizens or neighbourhoods. I don't know about you, but in front of my neighbours, I dust off an image of myself that's sometimes very different. When I leave the house, I had a mania drummed into me by my mum about making sure that I always combed my hair. But I put on my best self. I wear tidy clothes. I speak more politely. I behave more respectably. Unlike my family, the neighbours don't get to see what I look and sometimes smell like early in the morning when I first get up with my unkempt hair and unclean teeth and daggy pyjamas. But my family do. They see my weaknesses and I also see theirs. They see how I behave when I'm stressed or tired and irritable. Um, or within families, of course, we also cover up for each other. We clean up each other's messes. We share money, we share family secrets, and of course, we have the wonder of sharing the joys of family life too. Now, I think the interesting question for us to ask is, are we part of the household of God? Are we fostering relationships within the church that look anything like family? The Bible says that we are one, and that uh, just like our salvation, um, and that this, just like our salvation, unity and the experience of family is something which has been won for us by the death of Jesus Christ. Now, it's a bit sad, but even at St John's, some people don't seek that sort of family relationship we have in the church. They show up once a week or sometimes look at us um, lately, more lately on live stream, and they don't seek opportunities to mix. This family relationship we have with each other is something this passage tells us that Christ died for us to have. If we're not seeking closer relationships with people in church, we deny ourselves one of the great blessings available to us in Christ. But the other thing is that we're also effectively devaluing the triumph that Jesus won on the cross. One of the things that Jesus won on the cross was to bring us together and break down barriers. Now I'll leave that to marinate with you, but the obvious way in which we develop more, a more family-like relationship with people in church is, of course, by being here, participating in ministry, joining small groups, 
inviting each other or, or each other out or at home to enjoy some hospitality by sharing things about our lives with each other. I find quite often young people are so much better at this than older people. I recall many times at camps, younger people kept themselves accountable by reporting to each other how frequently they were reading their Bible and saying their prayers. Um, It's possibly something we should all be prepared to do. But according to this passage, we are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives. Now, for a thousand years, the temple in Jerusalem had become the focus of God's presence in the world. But Paul says that now God is doing something new. God is building a new temple. And this one isn't made with bricks and stones and located in a particular geographic place that we now couldn't even get to. The new temple is among people. It's more like an organism. And as people saved in Christ, you and I don't have to go somewhere. We don't even have to come here. In order to be in the presence of God, we simply need to get together with other Christians. Now, this temple, we're told, is comprised of three things. Jesus, of course, is its chief cornerstone. He is at the centre and everything fits around him. Friends, I read a wonderful illustration during the course of the week that said something like a hundred pianos tuned to the same tuning fork are all tuned to each other. The more we seek to follow and imitate Christ, we will be tuned to each other. And this idea of being closer to each other is going to be something that's way easier. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the centre. But then there are the foundations, which are the teachings provided by the apostles and the prophets. We get them through the Bible, the word of God. And then finally, there's the building blocks that make up the church, us. Uh, Back in those days, they were the Jews and the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the people who used to be excluded from the building. And if it hadn't been for Christ, we would have continued to be excluded too. But now we're not, and we all need to come to the understanding that we're part of the temple of God. Now this means that God actually inhabits his church. This is now the focus of God's presence in the world. If you wanted to go into God's presence where he dwells, you used to have to go to a building called the temple. But now, you just to be in the presence of God, you just need to be with other Christians. So sometimes we find ourselves asking, why bother with church? We need to come to grips with the fact that church is not some optional activity for Christian people. It's part of our salvation. God has chosen to create a new people, a new humanity out of those who were once his enemies. And that is another interesting thing to contemplate about what God uses to build his church. Now you've all heard the story of the three pigs, I won't repeat it, but you know that the pig that is the most successful is the guy that uses the right stuff to build his house, the the bricks. Now the really interesting thing about God's church is it's the other way around. God uses the straw to build the temple that he has in mind. The miracle is that we are privileged to be Uh, part of what God has decided to make his temple, and that includes people like you and me. People that Paul described, and we were once like this, godless, dead in sins, and without hope. Now, to illustrate this a little further, there was a debate once in the uh, early, about 150 years in the ancient world, 150 years after Jesus was crucified, there was a debate about Christians. And uh, this Greek scholar called Cesus wrote a critique of the Christian church. And believe it or not, one of his killer arguments as to why we should ignore the church is that basically it was composed of nobodies, the also-rans of the, of the world. 
Caesar said that when most religious teachers went forth, they cried, come to me, those of you who are clean and worthy. And they are soon followed, he said, by people of the highest calibre in the land. But then he said to the Christians, he says, your silly master, sadly meaning our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, he cries, come to me, those of you who are down and beaten by life. And so he accumulates around him the ragtag and bobtail of humanity. Friends, uh, the, the person who was sticking up for the church at the time was the Christian father called Oregon. And he said, yes, that's true. Christians are the ragtag and bobtail of humanity. But Jesus doesn't leave them that way. Out of the material that you would have thrown away as useless, um, God fashions men, giving them back their self-respect, enabling them to stand on their feet and look God in the eye. They were cowed and broken things, but the Son has set them free. How good is that? That when we become Christians, we start an improvement program in which we become more like the Lord Jesus Christ. God deliberately builds his temple with a small fry of this world and makes it something special over time. And that God has built his temple, his church, with people like us. Friends, sometimes we feel inadequate for that task and people feel a bit shy about wanting to share with others. Understand that Jesus died for you and you should not feel shy at all. But the easiest way to overcome that is start with the easiest people in church and work your way forward. I think I want to say something also too to the people who I hope are listening to this live stream and haven't been to church for a while because of COVID. And I remember there was a period of time in my life when I didn't attend church for a while too because the kids were keeping me busy and stuff like that. And you know, the biggest barrier to coming back to church was I was embarrassed what other people would think when I came back. So friends, don't be embarrassed. We are all the same stuff that Jesus has, uh, is making the church from. We're all inadequate. And uh, we should make everybody feel friendly, regardless of their spiritual condition. So in fact, I don't say it necessarily describes you, but if it does, feel free to come back to us. We want to see you back and you will absolutely discover, as I did, you won't be embarrassed to be back with God's people. Now, I again also agree that sometimes being part of the church and serving the Lord within the church can be inconvenient and a hassle. Um, But I hope that you will see from this message in Ephesians that it's worth it. Um, It's so much more of a blessing than we might otherwise have imagined. Some people consider coming to church a duty. It's a blessing. Um, It's much more than just attending services, though. It is becoming radically reoriented in our relationships and deeply committed to what God is doing. Now, of course, that may seem like a tall order, and it is, as I explained. There are barriers that sometimes we still have to get over. But living in peace and enjoying a family relationship with people we barely know can sometimes be hard and intimidating. But friends, Paul has an answer to that too later on in the book of Ephesians, and I won't preach on it, but I will read the verse that uh, I think answers that. Paul said later to the Ephesians this, he was in a prayer, he said, Now unto him who was able to immeasurably do more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to his power at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, God is able to do more than we can imagine and the least we might imagine that he would do is break down the barriers between us and make us a vigorous and robust and Christ-honouring church. Friends, this is the beginning of the year and it's time to be thinking about the sort of things that we'll be doing during the course of the year. And if this is something you feel the need to address, 
then might I encourage you to do so, that this might be the year in which you make an even greater effort to get closer to God's people, to be here more often or to, um, to participate in some area of ministry. It is, in fact, an obedient and good thing to do. It's been a total pleasure to share this with all of you and I do hope it's a blessing to you during the course of this week and may God bless you as you think about how you might indeed serve him better in this wonderful miracle called the church. Thank you.